Welcome to Industry Nama, a podcast that covers everything A to Z on India's small business growth and job creation. My name is Rick Rosso, and I hold the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies here at CSIS, and I've worked on Indian commercial issues for decades. Join us as we dive into the intersection of Indian government policy and the startup ecosystem, looking at good ideas to accelerate India's economic growth. Hi, I'm Rick Rosso, host of the Industry Nama podcast at CSIS. I'm joined today by Ms. Deepthi Rabula. Deepthi, of course, is CEO of WeHub in Telangana, India's first state-led incubator for women entrepreneurs. Deepthi herself knows every angle of this business. She served in government as an engineer, teacher, now leading, of course, a unique incubator in Hyderabad. So can't ask for a better uh, guest here to tell us a little bit about the intersection of startup environment, women, and, uh, and how policy kind of interacts. Deepthi, thanks again for joining us today. Very excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much, Rick. It's a pleasure being here and uh, congratulations on all the great work that is happening at the CSIS. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Well, let's start off by talking about kind of the unique angle that WeHub itself has. How does the current startup system in India treat women and men entrepreneurs differently? What should we know for those of us that aren't as familiar as you are in terms of why, you know, this establishment of this institution is particularly important? Thank you, Rick. It's a very pertinent question. And uh, one of the things I'd like to really highlight is that the startup ecosystem is actually treating everybody equal as long as they are beyond a certain um, revenue stage. And that is where I think uh, the entire gap around how women entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs are treated, that is where the big disparity comes in when they are at a very early stage. And that is when we actually, as an entire world economy, lose out on women being more tech startup founders and more entrepreneurial as well. So I think that is the most unique challenge that we are actually looking into. So when the startup is at a revenue stage, Nobody really cares whether the founder is a male co-founder or a female founder. But when it comes to an early stage startup, that is where the big difference is. So starting with that premise, that is where an entity like WeHub actually comes into play, right? So we are not just uh, working on established startups. We are working on making sure that we can have more and more uh, young girls and young women pursue entrepreneurship. We want to make sure that, you know, entrepreneurship among women is not just limited to tech but also tech-led MSMEs. We are looking at how we can bring more sector agnostic uh, women startups also to uh, raise the bar and make sure they're more tech-enabled as well. So this is where the unique USP of uh, WeHub actually comes to play. I wonder if you can talk about the role that government plays. I mean, a lot of the pressures, I suppose, are more societal in nature, but are there interventions that government can make that would help women entrepreneurs get a leg up, get a better ability to take off and to grow? So it's an awesome question, Rick, and it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. As somebody who's lived in the U.S., my husband still works there in a company called NVIDIA, and I've lived and worked in the Valley for quite some time. And having had the opportunity to be a part of two very thriving and bustling economies, one thing I want to highlight is the difference or the nuance that we kind of often miss between the West and the East. So if you look at the West, Corporates run the startup ecosystem, right? If you are in the Stanford campus, you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, corporates actually spark this conversation way ahead of the time. Whereas when you come to the East, the conversations are mostly happening where governments have to be the first movers. So because we are kind of late movers into this entire corporate conversation, we are actually making sure that more and more governments can actually be a part of the VS Park, which actually ignite innovation. So that is the difference between the West and the East. 
and that is where governments have not just a, a role but a very huge role to catalyze and make sure that you know this happens and coming down to the kind of support that governments can actually give the first and most important thing which is not just a uniquely indian problem is that the policy awareness so whenever we talk about women entrepreneurship be it east west wherever in the world we often forget that the governments have actually created many friendly frameworks to enable more women to avail credit linkages get access to mentoring get access to marketplaces get access to so much more but the big challenge that comes in is awareness and evangelism i think that is what uh, we hub is doing a lot more of so once we inform more entrepreneurs on what to do the better they'll be able to avail this and that is what we see as a role of government and enablers such as we hub we were talking before about the global entrepreneurship summit a few years ago that was held in hyderabad talking about the us india collaborations i know a lot of what we've captured here you know in silicon valley and boston and even outside of washington dc these dynamic tech and innovation hubs and the question is how much of that can actually be ported and translated is it magic or is it science when you think about all the elements that have to come together to create that unique ecosystem that helps launch dynamic companies. So I wonder, are there some elements that you think can be replicated? Is there stuff that is really kind of secret sauce and magic and harder to do? The secret sauce is just one word, collaboration. And all we need to do is make sure that more and more governments, corporates, and all the different stakeholders that are there, they understand how to collaborate and make sure that, you know, the only way a city or a state or a country can grow is by going forward together. and i think that is the first recipe collaboration and the second thing also is uh, we need a lot of talent and experts think tanks like i think csis who can actually localize content as well so what may work in let's say the west may not translate that beautifully let's say into south of india or north of india or wherever else so we also need a lot of experts and think tanks to make sure that you know there is enough uh, ground data that is available there is enough feasibility study that is done and most importantly more localization is done based on the economic factors and third and most important thing we need to make sure that uh, the startups themselves understand that entrepreneurship is the way that you know countries can go on and become great on the strength of ideas so if you can highlight and create more role models nothing is there to stop and that is all the magic we need let's talk about the role of higher education as part of that ecosystem you're on the board of the indian school of business also the governing body of st anne's degree college for women When you think about the role that higher education today is playing as part of the innovation ecosystem clearly here you know when you think of Stanford and MIT and places like that it's part and parcel in India is it there is it getting there are there additional steps that you think need to be taken to make sure that education hubs can be part of that ecosystem so if you understand India is a very education driven economy we today celebrate the indian americans who are now ceos of huge corporations and all that was made possible only due to education so india has been an education hub but however the focus is on going into a career or becoming a professional i think steering these educational hubs not just to glorify the brilliant ceos that we've been able to create of established companies but to be unicorns is what i think uh, the training that is needed and that is something we need to work on quite a bit and the model that we can take is the examples that you said you'd look at uh, delhi it has the most number of research institutes in the country but a lot of them do not know how to go from research to commercialization so maybe boston can be a great example for us to replicate in india right in delhi so now when we come to the valley we have the scu we have the ucsb we have so many stanford santa clara university you have berkeley so much more 
So the thing is, how do you uh, take this, you know, entire basket of brilliant universities and how can you replicate that in, let's say, a Chennai or a Hyderabad or whatever else? So a lot of cross-learning, I think, will enable these educational hubs, which create CEOs for the world to create companies and jobs for India, I think is what we can learn from more. Now that's great. Well, you, of course, sitting in an entrepreneurship hub, uh, we have are universities taking those additional steps as well. I know some of them were setting up incubators of their own. Some of them were kind of viewed more as co-working spaces, not so much mentorship and things happening there. You know, are universities themselves really kind of picking up and trying to find ways to enter that? I mean, innovation, clearly, you know, there's so much great research that's done at Indian colleges and universities. But some of the other steps replicating some of the work that you've done at WeHub, do you see that as very apparent? And is it really kind of only in urban areas if it is happening or is it a little bit more widespread? What you actually said is quite right. Universities always had an incubation center, but when you go there, it's a very beautiful, fancy office, but it's always locked. And it's a great co-working space for a lot of people, but nobody was actually there. So to fix that, the government of India has come up with something known as new education policy, where every college or a university has to have an incubation center and not just that, it also has to make sure that it has the right faculty. You mean, um, if you know a little bit about India, a lot of times these incubation centers were actually handed off to faculty who did not have a lot on their plate. So for them, it was not really a motivation factor, right? It was just a kicked up position for them. But however, now there is immense focus from both the state and central government to not just create these incubation centers as part of the new education policy 2020, but also make sure that, you know, there is the training of trainers that is happening. And I think that is going to be a game changer for the country as we see it. Now, when we think of entrepreneurship, it feels like something in India in particular that's very much kind of an urban phenomenon, at least from an outsider. Is that true? I mean, is it a different type of entrepreneurship that's happening in rural areas? Is there ways to bring rural entrepreneurs to the urban areas? Because it feels like urban entrepreneur versus rural would have a little bit different needs, a little bit different maybe products and market. But am I overstating that? Or are there big ideas on tech and area that are coming out of out of rural areas too? Or, or is that divide as real as it would sometimes seem to an outsider? So Rick, you are absolutely right from an outsider's perspective. But I'll give you a simple example of which will probably counter your understanding, which is Zoho. So if you look at Sridhar Vembu, who is the CEO and founder of Zoho, he actually moved his headquarters to his village during the pandemic. Because, you know, one thing if pandemic has taught us or enabled us to do is to democratize where the startup founder can be. He no longer has to be in a metro area. And given that he can find talent across the world, there is no need for a lot of people to actually move out of where they are, but they can actually become an asset for where they are. So that is something that we've learned. Also, as you rightly pointed out, and you touched upon a very important topic, there is no better person who can create a solution for a local problem than a person who's from there. So we have an immense focus on grassroots innovation that is taking place in Telangana. So as you rightly pointed out, while there is, you know, a, a divide between urban and rural, what we are now doing is making sure that we are enabling the ecosystems to ramp up beyond the metros. Because as a country which is going to have the youngest population, the average age is, I think, 28 years for India. So we need to make sure that, you know, every part of the country is enabled empowered and is becoming actually a steam engine for the growth story of the country. You see a lot of changes happening right now on global supply chains, concerns about domination by tech firms based out of China and what that means, things like that. Uh, do you find that entrepreneurs, they do look and take advantage of things that are happening globally as well? When you think about 
products that might have global interest? Or are a lot of the entrepreneurs that you talk about thinking first, how do I build stuff that is more important for India? Is it entrepreneurs that are thinking globally early on and maybe taking advantage of changes that are happening in the world? Or is it mostly folks that are that are looking what India needs today? So it is actually a mix of both, right? So I think the first mover in this is government because we are incentivizing more of Make in India. And I'm happy to share that, you know, this headset that I'm using is made in Hyderabad. I'm using a headset which is completely designed and manufactured in Hyderabad. And seems to be working better than mine. So (laughs) (laughs) I won't won't say who made mine, but uh, you you win this one for sure. No, no, we do want to because it is actually by a women entrepreneur. The company's name is Mivi. And the reason I'm pointing it out is the founders are aware of what the problems were. But the policy and the regulation was not as friendly because we are actually in a very big race to kind of like make sure that, you know, we get everything for the very burgeoning economy, the rising middle class and so much more. But with COVID, with the supply chains and the undue effects of economic superiority, which is bringing in so many other spheres, right? I think which is beyond the scope of our conversation. So what we are actually trying to do is to reduce the influence of so many other manufacturing nations, which is causing problems beyond just economics for a country like India. What we've done is we have created Make in India. And for that, we are making sure that we can actually enable more competent production as well. We are incentivizing PCBs. We are making sure that we are incentivizing the building blocks of everything. And that is the role government is playing. And the entrepreneurs themselves. So when they started out, they started out creating products to compete with the world. But with COVID, they realized that the bigger opportunity is to compete with the products which are not made in India, but extensively used in India. We are actually localizing a lot more. And that is enabling a spurring of the manufacturing sector. And with the smart engineers that we're churning out, I think it's not too far away when we can actually compete with the global giants in every sphere and not just in, uh, you know, the product, but also manufacturing and also R&D. So I'm hoping for a very great thing that are happening with the culmination of entrepreneurs, government, and also VC such as yourself, Rick, if I may say. <laughs> One last question for you. So you've got the dynamos, the entrepreneurs, the visionaries uh, walking through your door, but eventually they got to build a team and hire engineers and marketing team and accounting team. And I mean, some of that, of course, I'm sure, you know, we have helps to counsel and support, but those other complementary skills, are they readily enough available? And is there an interest? You know, I know culturally joining entrepreneurship and such versus more stable careers, times past has not been as easy of a choice, I think, for a lot of Indians. Is that changing? So is the skill there? And is there desire to join the startup universe, even for people that have those skills? How, how is that kind of evolving? It is changing in a great way. And it is changing because Shark Tank India happened. It's very cool now to be a startup founder. And uh, you won't believe this. You know telenovelos, right? So we have a lot of those uh, serials in India as well. It's not serial, but uh, dramas, that daily dramas that come on TV. And I was very surprised about three weeks ago, I discovered that there was a show on a women entrepreneur who was actually, because she had some issues, she actually went out and she created a startup for herself. So the reason I say this is because if those are the things that uh, every person in the smallest of village in India actually watches, and if entrepreneurship has trickled into that, I can't imagine why, uh, you know, it will not go down to the last person in the line. That is the first thing. Second thing is coming down to the availability of talent. I have to highlight here, Rick, that we have also created institutions within the government of Telangana itself called as Telangana Academy for Skills and Knowledge, where we are making sure that we are giving these soft skills, employable skills to many of the students which are part of the three-year and four-year technical courses within Telangana. And uh, that is how we are actually currently fulfilling the need. But as we go along in five years, 
I can see that there is going to be an abundance of talent and we hope that we become the startup and innovation hub of the world along with the Silicon Valley and uh, everything else in the world. Well, that's a terrific vision to close on. The only disappointing part is you're helping my son's case when he tells me that television is good for him, seeing how Shark Tank is helping to change societal norms and such in India. So uh, his counterpoint on the benefits of television, you've kind of supported, but I won't mention that. Deepthi Rabula, CEO of WeHub, terrific conversation, a lot of great thoughts on uh, how to support women entrepreneurs, the areas that are opening for them, and the importance that I think Hyderabad is playing as really kind of a hub for this work. And I can't thank you enough again for taking time and joining the Industry Nama podcast. Thank you so much, Rick. It was a real pleasure. And thank you for being a fabulous narrator and a speaker for this. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again. That's it for today's episode. Subscribe to Industry Nama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website at csis.org forward slash India. And thanks for listening.